this year we have 18 platforms that you can watch um, our, our, wow. our championship on, which is incredible. Um, what's interesting is, you know, the social impressions and the social engagement. And again, that's that younger consumer as well. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years, over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Abbott, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolster, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. My guest, Joanne Scott, the Managing Director of the Men's Basketball Championship for the NCAA. She really handles all the operations around March Madness. What a job she has. I've known Joanne for many, many years. She worked at Nike for 17 years, USA Basketball before that. She joined us annually on Sports Business Radio to kind of give us an inside look at the NCAA Tournament. Several new things with the tournament this year, so I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Joanne Scott on our show this week. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm good, man. March Madness is here. I'm excited about that. And Joanne's fascinating, great interview. I love hearing her uh, flight plan. I mean, it's oh like my every God. day she's flying to a different city. It's awesome. I can't remember what I'm doing tomorrow, yeah. and she's talking about on my 17th flight in the next month, <laughs> exactly. I'll be going here. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you've got it. That is an all-consuming job. Oh, yeah. yeah. For a month, you're just going hard. Like, I know a lot of us have a hard few days or a hard week where we've traveled and we got... That is a month yeah, of at least. just grueling. And the thing is, at the beginning of the tournament, you're overseeing multiple sites. So it's not like you're just at the Final Four, you're just in Minneapolis, just overseeing one venue. That's tough enough. You're overseeing multiple sites, so you've really got to have a good team. You've got to trust the people at those venues to do their job. A lot of people don't realize the NCAA is meeting with these venues 18 months in advance before the venues actually start the tournament. And the thing that's crazy, Griggs, they announce – I think a lot of people go, why do they announce the site so early, years in advance? They reserve the hotel rooms five years in advance. So – this is one of those events that takes a lot of long-term planning, much like the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's fascinating how many – you don't really realize it until you dig in. Like with Joanne, you see how many details there are. Like that, hotel rooms five yeah. years out. Venues. She's talking about like putting basketball courts in football arenas and how that – you know, you have to plan for that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And then putting CBS and Turner and all the guys together, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. I have to say, of all the sports events in America, this is probably my favorite to consume via the media because I love – the Turner and CBS partnership. I love how they've uh, cross-promoted each of those. And you yeah. see Charles Barkley sitting with the CBS people and the CBS people sitting with the Turner people. And it's just a lot of fun. And you can tell that they're actually having a good time. It's not like, oh, God, you put me with this person and I don't usually work with them. And I got like they're having a lot of fun around March Madness. And I just love 
I can't think of another entity where they come together like that. And this thing is a multi-billion dollar deal. So here's the terms. Uh, in 2016, they extended this relationship through 2032. This is a multi-billion dollar relationship. The original deal was 11 billion dollars. They extended for another 8 billion dollars. So by my math, 19 billion dollars that the NCAA receives from Turner and from CBS for this partnership. So the good news is we know it's going to be on these platforms for a long time. They can continue to grow the digital platforms. But uh it's crazy that there's that amount of money. It's yeah. You know, amateur athletics, but wow, that's $19 billion associated with this really crown jewel of U.S. sports. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like a Super Bowl. It's, but even longer. You get to enjoy it longer. It's for a every, month. Yeah, every year. It's on my calendar. It's like you can't wait for March Madness and just the fun of seeing the, you know, the 16 and the ones and all the seeds getting in, the playing games. It's just a fun event and it's, uh, it's well ran and well produced and it's fun to watch. Well, it is crazy how, you know, back in the day it used to be, okay, the brackets come out in the newspaper. Yeah. You clip the newspaper. <laughs> newspaper yeah. <laughs> bracket out yep. you fill it out and then that's what you played with your buddies now there's a bazillion different online brackets that you can play by the way sports business radio has a bracket if yep. you want to compete against griggs and i we've tweeted that out at sb radio we'll tweet it out again before the tournament starts but uh and then the other thing is it used to be you just watched on TV and you could just watch one game at a time. Now with the March Madness live app, you can watch all the games at one time. You can see the buzzer beaters and get notified, hey, this game's coming down to the buzzer. You might want to tune in. Mm-hmm. And then on social media, if there is a buzzer beater, like 30 seconds later, <laughs> you can watch the buzzer beater on at March Madness on Twitter and Instagram. So it's really remarkable how... This has grown digitally and how you can see results instantaneously. If you were like, oh, I was washing my car. I didn't see that buzzer beater. Well, 30 seconds later, you can see it on social media. Yeah, and Dram was even talking about when you're at the venue watching the game, they'll cut to live games during the games you're at live right. to see on the screens and stuff. So there are other, it's always there and they do a great job digitally. It's fun to watch it on, on your tablet or phone or iPad or whatever computer. And then of course, you know, all the networks on TV do a great job too. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Yes. We haven't seen your bracket, but oh, yeah. uh, who do you have? I want to ask you for your whole bracket, but give me your final two teams and then who you have winning it all. I have, I'll do final four for you. Oh. Duke, Michigan, and Tennessee, North Carolina. Okay. So I got Duke and Tennessee in the final game. Wow. I like the falls this year, but Duke's going to win it with Zion. Okay. Yeah. I've got Duke beating North Carolina okay. in the championship. We're similar then. We're similar. Uh, and I've got Duke winning it all. Yeah. I, I think this, to me, is like the year. Remember Carmelo Anthony played for Syracuse. He played one and done. Yeah. And he went into that tournament, and he was like a man amongst boys. And I picked Syracuse that year because I was like, it's almost unfair. You have like an NBA guy who would be one of the best NBA players competing against college guys. That's how I feel about Zion this year. He's so far superior to everyone else. So if he stays healthy, he's the difference for Duke. You're you're playing with a top NBA player on your team. He'll be the number one pick. The interest in this tournament, I think, is going to be off the charts as long as he's in it. If you see Duke actually in the finals, I think you will see record TV ratings for that game. It's also back on CBS this year 
versus Turner. So more widespread distribution for CBS. I think this tournament, if Zion is going for a long time, has the potential to be the highest rated tournament that we've seen in, in many years and maybe ever. I totally agree, and he's just one of those players. He's a once in a he's a lifetime player, generational player. I guess they're calling him. And it's, it's like, and he's he's so fun because he spreads the court out too. You can't just play him down low. He can shoot threes too. I mean, well, he's, he plays he's, defense. And he he'll plays like defense. come out of nowhere and block a shot. <laughs> right. Like he he really does Crazy. everything. Yeah. And I saw a stat today. I couldn't believe this. Other than Boban, our our friend uh, who plays for. The Sixers now, who's like seven foot three and is just a, a monster of a human being. There's no player in the NBA that weighs more than Zion. Zion weighs 285 wow. pounds and he's just like put together. Yeah. Like I don't look at him and go, Oh, you know, he's the round mound to rebound like Charles Barkley. <laughs> he is put together. Yeah. And that's an amazing stat that like if he went into the NBA tomorrow, he'd be by weight. The second biggest player in the NBA. Hmm. He's just, I swear, when I watch that guy, he's from the future. He's yeah. from another planet. And, uh, I think he's going to be a guy who goes into the NBA and changes the game. So that's why I'm picking Duke. And I know everyone's going to go, oh, Burger, that's really going out on a limb. But <laughs> when you have a talent like Zion yeah, Williamson, right. yep. I'm not picking against it's him. Same with me. That's why I thought too. It's like he's just too good. If he stays healthy and goes to this tournament, he's at, I mean, it just in the in the ACC tournament, he averaged almost 30 points a game. Yeah. And, I mean, it's crazy. Well, and you can clearly see after the shoe blowout and he returns that Duke is a completely different team with him yeah. than without him. <laughs> without him, they're probably not a Final Four team. With him, they probably win this thing yeah. going away. All right. Other headlines. Uh, it's rare that we get to throw this headline out there, Griggs. The largest pro sports contract in the history of team sports was signed this week when Mike Trout signed a 12-year, $430 million contract with the Los Angeles Angels. And the stunning thing, as I tweeted out this week, is... Artie Moreno, who owns the Angels, bought the team in 2003 for $184 million. <laughs> Crazy. So he's paying Mike Trout roughly three to four times what he bought the team for. The team is now valued at $1.8 billion. But look, Artie Moreno knew he was going to have to pay Mike Trout. I don't know if you had to pay him 430 Maybe you could have gotten away with paying him 400 and saved $30 million. But the other thing here that not a lot of people are talking about is the Angels are trying to get a new stadium built. You're not going to get a new stadium built, or it's going to be a lot harder if Mike Trout isn't on your team. With Mike Trout as the face of your franchise, and you can say he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. He'll finish his career in this market, there's a no trade clause in the contract, so you know he's going to be there. Now it's easier to get a stadium built. So that's the kind of the understory to this main story. But holy cow. I mean, you talk about guaranteed money, largest guaranteed contract in NFL history, $84 million. Hmm. And NFL, I think most people would agree, is a much more brutal sport. The career span is less than baseball. And remember, just like a month ago, people are like, well, the owners are colluding. They're not playing, paying the players. Machado gets a big contract, $300 million. Bryce Harper, $330 million. Yep. And now you've got this contract with Mike Trout, 12 years, $430 million. 
I think the owners are paying out some decent money. Yeah, I think baseball is doing pretty good right now. I mean, those are three major contracts just in the last couple of weeks. We were talking about Bryce Harper, and we knew this Trout thing was probably coming. And then wallop, here we go, biggest one ever. It's pretty fascinating. Well, and Trout and Harper are kind of cut from the same cloth in that they didn't care about going to a place and then opting out in three or four years mm-hmm. like Machado. They wanted to know, I'm going to be in the same place yeah. for the rest of my career. And that was important to them. I love the people after Trout signs a contract where they're like, well, he probably could have gotten more if he went to the open market. And I'm like, 12 years, $430 million. That breaks down to $36 million a year. That breaks down to $25,000 in inning Griggs. Do you really need more? Wow. I mean, how much money does one person need? No. So I, I think he did okay. His agent did okay. Yeah. Uh in California, he's going to pay hefty taxes. So when it comes down to it, his contract, his take home off the 430, he'll take home $202 million. Okay. I could probably live off of that. Sure. That'd work. I mean, it would be tough, <laughs> but I think I could figure out a way to live off of $202 million in sunny California, and that's your take home. Sign me up. Yeah. I, no. I don't need to go get competing offers or find out what else is out there. Other headline this week that was big news, Odell Beckham Jr. gets traded from the New York Giants to the Cleveland Browns. There were whispers that OBJ was done in New York, that he'd become a headache in that locker room, uh, that the Giants were kind of done with him. The reason this trade doesn't make sense is they gave him $50 million guaranteed a year ago. Why would you give someone that amount of money? And look at the Browns. I mean, the Browns get him on his deal, and they'll probably extend him. But in the NFL, the guaranteed portion of your deal is what is payable like today. Everything else is just on a piece of paper. So the Browns basically get him for his future contract, and the Giants already paid his guaranteed $50 million. If you're the Browns, you make that deal every day of the week. You're getting maybe the best receiver in the NFL and you didn't have to pay him the guarantee the other team did. And yes, they traded a first, a third, and a, and a decent uh, defensive player for him. But I'll tell you, I'm excited to watch the Browns next year. Even if they don't win at all, which they probably won't, they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., Miles Garrett... I tweeted out immediately after this trade happened, Hard Knocks did the Browns one year too early. Like, <laughs> how great would it have been for Hard Knocks to do yeah. this team now? Yeah, that's true. That would have been off the charts awesome. It's funny, though, because it's like instantly you get all the, Cleveland's going to win the division and all this stuff. And it, well, you and never in know. Vegas, they're, they're the, even though they're not the odds-on favorite, right. more people are betting on the Browns to win the Super Bowl in Vegas than any other team. Crazy. And it, it does... To show you, like, you know, the Browns have always been the laughing stock, and right. the only bowl they're playing in is the toilet bowl. Like, and now the fortunes are changing, and it starts with Baker Mayfield, because he's the guy who says, put all the pressure on my shoulders. I was explaining to someone the other day, he has a makeup where he's got a chip on his shoulder, and he can take the pressure, yeah. so he'll be fine throwing to all the weapons he has now. He'll figure out how to spread it around, and guess what? The season tickets for the Browns have gone through the roof since they got OBJ. Not going out on a limb on this, but guess what will be the number one selling jersey in the (laughs) NFL next year? 
Probably yeah. OBJ number one. Yeah. Probably Antonio Brown going from the Steelers to the Raiders number two, right? I yeah. mean, you don't have to be Nostradamus to predict that True. those will be the two top selling jerseys. But Griggs, we always talk about the NBA making news during the offseason with free agent signings and things like that. The NFL's actually had some pretty decent player movement this year. And now, you know, we're talking about baseball heading into the season where Mike Trout signs a record deal. Interesting how other sports are kind of scooping the other. I feel like it used to be sports when they were in season, it was big, and then you never hear from them. Now it's like, it's basically sports, every sport, all all year round. Right. I mean, you're always, there's movements in every sport, off season, during season, which makes it fun because it feels like you're kind of always involved in the sport. So I love it. Yeah. And I was thinking after I saw Trout's contract, if you're LeBron James... And you look at your contract and what the salary cap is. Because remember, in baseball, there's no salary cap, right? You can sign someone for $430 million. Mm -hmm. LeBron James must be thinking, man, I'm in the wrong (laughs) sport. Because I mean so much to this league and so much to any team I come to as far as ticket sales and sponsorships and all of those things. And he's getting a fraction of what... Mike Trout is getting. Speaking of Los Angeles, we are going to be in Los Angeles in just a couple weeks. We will be sitting down at my alma mater, Loyola Marymount University, on April 2nd for the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo. My guest will be Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. Very much looking forward to that conversation. Will be a timely conversation. Lots of topics to cover with Jeannie. But uh, looking forward to that. I hope you tune in that week. And I know we'll see some of our friends in Los Angeles at the show on campus at Loyola Marymount. All right. Coming up next, Joanne Scott, the managing director of the men's basketball championship for the NCAA. She oversees the operations for March Madness. She'll take us behind the scenes. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. My guest is Joanne Scott. She is the managing director of the Men's Basketball Championships for the NCAA. Before coming to the NCAA, Joanne managed Nike's college basketball relationships for 17 years. She started her career working for USA Basketball. She is a good friend. You can follow her on Twitter at JLS4. Joanne, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's game day. Exciting. It is game day. How does it feel? You put so much time and effort, you know, a year plus at least, which we'll talk about in a minute, to getting to this point, and now the first four kicks off. What's running through your mind today? 
Well, today is, as we, we sort of game day, we, our first four games are on True TV this evening, but today and tomorrow are our big travel days. And so um, what's going through my mind is just, you know, weather, making sure, as you know, we've had some extremely crazy snow in the Midwest in in the Midwest and, and rain with flooding in my great state of Nebraska. And so we watch the weather for, you know, plane delays and flight delays and uh, just teams traveling the next two days and getting to first and second rounds. We've got our first four teams in. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just a well-oiled machine. But right now it's just probably putting out small fires right and left, um, you know, as we get going. Once this first round and first four and first and second rounds get going, then it gets a good flow. I want to take our audience behind the scenes of March Madness, and, and you oversee all the operations for the Men's Basketball Championship. Let's go back a few days to Sunday to the selection show. You still got 10 members of the selection committee. Take us inside of that room and give us a feel of what happens during selection Sunday. Yeah, sure. We we went into the room in uh, the last Wednesday, and we... Uh, we go in Wednesday morning and we stay through Sunday night. Um, it's a methodical process. It is a process that Tom Jernstedt um, put in place in the many men's basketball committees before where it's um, just small votes of teams. Um, it's all very public in our principles and procedures. We have an initial ballot on Wednesday where the 10 members vote. And several teams are moved into the field on Wednesday. It's just that we don't announce it. And then what we do is we spend the next three or four days bringing in small, like I said, small chunks, four teams at a time into the tournament with voting. And then we seed. Um, And so, you know, a lot of times it's year to year. Brian, I wish I could tell you that selections are the same every year, but it's year to year because some teams are still playing um, in their conference tournament. And some have, you know, been knocked out their first round. Um, some, you know, we usually have about eight to nine conference tournaments that are already complete by the time we go in there. So we have automatic qualifiers, but it's just so different year to year on who's still playing in their conference tournament. So we watch a lot of games. We have a viewing suite um, and uh, it's methodical. And then selection Sundays, basically, we still have our, you know, six championships going on at the same time or at the same time, but Sunday afternoon. And so we have to have contingency brackets. So this Sunday we started with four or five and ended up with 12 contingencies. If the SEC, you know, because we have SEC, we have Sunbelt, we have Atlantic 10, we have Big 10. And so there's a lot, you know, and then there's um, several, I I can't remember them all, but um, so we have to have contingency brackets as to if one team wins and another team doesn't. Um, you know, the Atlantic 10. And so it's it's a lot of brackets because the seed lists change depending on who wins or loses perhaps that event. Um, on Sunday, their conference championship, a team may be in if they're automatic qualifier. If they're not the automatic qualifier, they may be out. So it's, uh, it's, it's nerve-wracking, but it's a methodical process. One of the things I know you guys really put more attention to a few years ago was trying to keep teams as close to home as possible so that the fans don't have to travel cross country for those first, you know, couple of rounds. Explain that to our audience because I know that has helped fans wanting to travel to go see their team play. Yeah, it, you know, that was in place before I came board, on board in 2014. It's been in place for a while now. But when we bracket, we bracket um, by geography. Um, and so when we go to bracket and a team comes up on the seed list, we look at the mileage um, on how far it is to the closest site. Now, that, and again, it depends on where you are on the seed list. Because if you're, 
you know, we can just say, let's say we've seeded the first, you know, 16 seeds. If you're the 17 seed, you're likely to go to your closest site. But if you're, you know, the 20th seed on that line, then um, we what we don't do, and it's hard to explain, and I don't want to confuse it, your, 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 your listeners, but we won't move anybody up or down a line. So if you're, the, you know, the 17 seed, you could go close to home. If you're the 20 seed, the only spot left, maybe you have to travel across the country, which is why I think fans get frustrated. Why are we going all the way across the country to San Jose? So we started off by the closest site. Uh, regionally when we bracket. There are some other principles in, in place where um, if it's close, um, uh, you know, it's, it's all determined by the committee and voted upon the committee, and it's just too complicated to get into. But, uh, yeah, those are all in place, and it helps for fans to be able to drive. Now, I know the committee denies that there's uh, matchups according to storylines, but I've got to say, the juiciest first round game is Louisville and Minnesota with uh, Rick Pitino's former team going up against his son's team, Minnesota. Probably no thought went into that, but uh, I like when those types of matchups and storylines emerge in those first couple of rounds. Yeah, I, we get that every year, the conspiracy theories, but I will say to you, having done this and doing 12 brackets, we do it on a computer program where we don't even see the bracket. It's um, We don't do it looking into the bracket and putting them in. It's done on a program. And then when we, when we get the bracket filled in and the program, which is it's similar to an Excel sheet, but it's a much complicated software. Um, and then when we're done, we um, our, our programmer hits enter, and then it shoots out the bracket. So you don't even know when you're doing this programming which sites are playing each other or where everybody is. So it's, 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 it's a good conspiracy theory. But for those of the coaches and those of the media that have gone through the process, they can see that that's not the intention at all. No, I totally understand. Uh, so the, a big part of the tournament is watching it on TV or watching it through the March Madness app. As you mentioned earlier, TBS, CBS, TNT, True TV, and the NCAA March Madness Live app. We know the Final Four is going to be on CBS this year. This has become must-see TV for sports fans, and maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how the numbers have grown, especially digitally, over the last couple of years. Yeah, sure. I think this year we have 18 platforms that you can watch um, our, our, wow. our championship on, which is incredible. Um, what's interesting is, you know, the social impressions and the social engagement. So um, March Madness Live, an incredible app. Our, our folks just do such a great job with that. Um, a lot of that is um, every year to year when we're looking at numbers is last minute games. If you remember year to year, sometimes we get these last minute shots and we send out alerts on folks' phone and then they tune in for the last minute shots when a game's getting close. That's what the app does. Right. So those last minute buzzer beaters tend to drive those up as both social impressions and March Madness Live because, um, you know, yeah, if you can think of 2016 and Villanova's, um, you know, game-winning shot, I mean, that went, it just exploded on social. So it, t- it tends to be the social impressions are more of those incredible game-winning shots, which year to year, it just can, you know, some years it just seems like it's like, wow, there's several of them. Some other years, maybe not so much. But I, I would say definitely, and again, that's that younger consumer as well um, when it comes to, um, you know, social and, and, and March Madness Live. I will also say, you know, and we can study this with March Madness Live, but, you know, the computer, a lot of folks are logging on with their phones. 
but really most people are watching it on their computers longer than on their phones. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest Joanne Scott of NCAA March Madness. We'll be right back after this. The 2019 Sports PR Summit presented by the Players' Tribune will take place on Tuesday, May 21st at the Players' Tribune headquarters in New York City. The Sports PR Summit brings together senior PR and social media executives from across the sports world, along with elite athletes and national media members for a full day of on-stage discussions and networking. All attendees leave with ready-to-apply best practices and with a better understanding of how to maximize relationships with the media and the athletes they work with. This year's Sports PR Summit lineup features NBA Commissioner Emeritus David Stern, Sports Illustrated Executive Editor and 60 Minutes Correspondent John Wartime, and an exclusive roundtable discussion featuring elite athletes who work with the Players' Tribune. Past Sports PR Summit speakers have included NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, NFL greats Michael Vick, Demarcus Ware, and Anquan Bolden, WNBA greats Lisa Leslie and Swin Cash, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schapp, The Atlantic reporter Jamel Hill, and my friend New York Knicks head coach David Fisdale. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first six years. We only have 125 spots for senior PR and social media executives. Reserve your spot today by visiting sportsprsummit.com. I'll see you at the 2019 Sports PR Summit on May 21st at the Players' Tribune in New York City. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Joanne Scott. The thing I love about this event more than any other is I love the integration of the CBS talent with the Turner talent and seeing Charles Barkley mixing with the CBS people and vice versa. It's just a lot of fun. And I know David Levy, who is the former president of Turner Sports, who's now departed, was a big part of putting that relationship together. But uh, I, I know fans just love those two talents coming together. Yeah, you know, we had a uh, some seminar with all the talent last week in New York, and it's it's a phenomenal setting because you do you have them all in the room, and those folks that are in television television just can't believe it. You know, they're like, you know, usually we're out here clawing against each other every day, but it really is a phenomenal situation. They truly, genuinely get along. They all laugh. Um, they all lean on one another. They motivate one another. Um, I mean, it's a, it's it's phenomenal. I'll tell you, Clark Kellogg got up and he gave a great speech. And I have already said this uh, already in an interview, but he said, you know, we all do this. Some of us have been here one year. Some of us have been here 10 years. But he said, we get into this and it's crazy and it's long days. But he said, embrace the joy of March Madness. So I wake up every morning saying that embrace the joy because we get to work on March Madness. And I think that's why they all get to along is because they all see they all feel it's very special to be working on it no i agree and the other thing that's nice this partnership runs through the year 2032 so we're going to get to enjoy this for years to come it's not like it's going to come to an end anytime soon so it's always nice to be involved in a business relationship where you know that it's going to go on for the foreseeable future Absolutely. And that's the way we look at it. We don't every year we, we aren't looking at it as how do we get through this year? We're looking at how can we continue to develop this this partnership, you know, through long term. One of the, you know, you know, who knows what we'll be watching in 2032, you know, or how we'll be watching it. <laughs> we might just blink our eyes and like a screen will pop up in our in our right. lenses and no one will be talking anymore for all we know. 
Uh, one of the things I really loved what CBS did with the selection show is last year there was a lot of criticism when it was on Turner of this thing is just too long and drawn out. It takes too long to reveal the brackets. It was just long. And CBS this year made it a concise 60-minute selection Sunday show. Two minutes into the broadcast, the brackets are being revealed. It was my favorite uh, selection show reveal because I thought I learned everything I needed to know in those 60 minutes and they got to the revelations right away. How much conversation was had after last year to make those improvements for this year? You know, every year we meet with Turner and CBS um, within 30 days of the championship, and we review everything from our bracket reveal in February to the selection show to the tournament and the championships. So we discuss it every year. You know, it's something – think about it, Brian. We were you, – you read the net newspaper the next day when the bracket came out. So right. you watched it, you, you know, before we had the Internet. And, you know – Are you saying I'm old? Is when, <laughs> I'm saying I'm old. Yeah, I'm saying I'm old. But, you know, that was how you got the bracket is you waited until the next day. Right. So people watched it themselves. So it's, it's completely changed – a viewing habit. You can go online and get the bracket, you know, as soon as the show's over. So what we've just tried to do is mix it up a bit. Um, and that's what we tried to do last year is mix it up a bit and just see. So we learn. I mean, I, I, I love that our partnership, we can all agree to let's mix it up. We learn things and, you know, uh, this year they went back to it. And, and so far in, that, in the television rating show that it was very successful. Is there anything else as we watch the games on all these platforms, 18 platforms you said, that's new this year that we should be paying attention to? Wow. Uh, I would say, you know, one of the things we did this year that you might have already seen uh, was we uh, got talent. How do we connect the regular season conference tournament to March Madness? So we did the big puncher ticket at the conference tournaments. Um, if you've seen that, all of them, the conference champions, the automatic qualifiers, all had a big ticket of which they put their school logo along with the conference logo. Just trying to start to celebrate the conference tournament being, you know, the automatic qualifier. So I think things like that is what we're trying to do is how do we make the season and everything blend together. This year in the tournament, I would tell you there's some things, but there's some things we kind of want to be a little bit of a surprise. So, uh, Oh, come uh, on. I'll hold them. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, so th- that's good enough. Like we know that we should look out for some surprises during the tournament yeah, this are, year. Yeah. Yeah. Some are just smaller. You know, some are, we, we do have a lot of crews following in the CBS confidential, which are great shows. Uh, if you're, listeners want to tune in but they'll they're behind the scenes with about eight different teams and they film them from when they leave campus and they do behind the scenes and those are those are always great too let's go back a year because i know one of the parts of your job is you are meeting with the site of the final four in this case minneapolis this year a year before the final four actually takes place Walk us through those meetings. How often are you meeting and what's that process leading up to this year's Final Four? Sure. We actually go meet with them the first time in 18 months out and get them rolling in, in Minneapolis. And then we started in June and we go once a month and our um, our partners, anybody who works on the Final Four from Turner Events and Turner and CBS and all of our folks at the NCA, we go once a month for three days and we require everybody to go once a month for three days, those same three days. Um, we go in and it started in June really looking at like the event layout, where are we hosting our concerts? Where we, you know, where are we hosting our, our events, our ancillary events? 
Uh, the venue is the venue, as we all know. And, but we, we start to meet with public safety. And we start to meet with the venue. Um, we start, you know, believe it or not, um, you know, airports. Um, because it tends to be right around spring break, and the, you know there's as many travelers fl- traveling anyway. So in most cities that we go to, so we start to meet with airports on how to prepare hotels, on how to prepare restaurants. Um, you know, everybody, it's a big influ- influx of folks, but it's, a lot of it's public safety. Um, a lot of it's the venue. Remember, we're bringing a basketball court into a football stadium, and then we're bringing in about another eighteen thousand seats that will blend into the football stadium seats. That's a big undertaking. Yeah. So a lot of it is venue driven, but you know, we do music, our March managed music festival. We do a you know, fan fest by capital one. We do a Buick dribble. So we're just finding routes and we're finding out what streets we can go on and what streets need to be closed. And, and so it's just, it's a 12 month ordeal, believe it or not. And they've hosted Super Bowl already. So, you know, they're used to hosting mega events there in Minneapolis. What are your thoughts on, on that beautiful new stadium? Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's a gorgeous stadium and it's actually blacked out right now. That was one of the requirements for our, for our championship is they have to black that out for television and for practices. And so they, uh, they have installed these, uh, incredible, uh, black, uh, darkening solution is what we call it. Um, and it was just made it even more intimate in my mind. It's a phenomenal venue. You know, Minneapolis hosted the Super Bowl and I think it was negative 16 and had incredible crowds come out. Um, so we, I mean, I will say we, you know, when you, when you plan for something, that means that it, typically we you hope it doesn't happen. But we have to have a snow removal plan. It is Minneapolis. Um, we do that in other cities as well if they're in the north. And so uh, so far, you know, the weather looks good up there. Uh, but you know, they they just hosted the Super Bowl. It's been great timing, and you can we take a lot from you know the public safety and the locals take a lot from the, what they learn from hosting that. They haven't hosted a Final Four since I think 2001, so it's been 18 years. So um, it was good for them to host a Super Bowl as it is for every other city to host ahead of time. I love to ask this question to people who plan mega events. Peter O'Reilly from the NFL has joined me many times to discuss the Super Bowl, and when I asked him. Is there something that's happened that you didn't plan for, but you had to be on your toes and ready to deal with it? His answer was a few years ago when the Atlanta Falcons played the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, they did the coin toss before the game, and then President Bush stuck the coin in his pocket, and the game went into overtime, and they needed to find a coin for the coin toss for overtime. Is there something in your career that's happened similar to that where you're like, oh my gosh, I got to think of something on the fly? Yeah, you know, again, I think of preliminary rounds, I think of Final Four. When you're moving a basketball stadium into a football stadium, which is expensive and you can't do a dry run with it, it's tough. And so we've had things from, I remember in Phoenix, our um, ribbon boards were reflecting and making our court uh, glow on television because of the height. (laughs) I mean, we, we put our basketball court up about 48 inches off the stadium floor and so things like that happen but the one thing that came to mind when you said that was in preliminary rounds a couple of years ago we had a court um eric montrose was a radio announcer and i could see him pointing at an area on the court so i walked over there and i could see you know we installed all of our courts there's a little lip lifting up on the court but there was about four minutes to go in the north carolina game and i didn't want to draw attention to it 
So I thought if I go out there, and it wasn't in an area, it was, you know, in an area where you shoot, but it wasn't an area that, you know, was in the lane, which, you know, you would catch a, a shoe on. But I didn't want to draw attention to it and, and delay the current game and, you know, getting people. Remember, this is a cha- national championship every game. It's not a regular season game where, like, well, let's just, you know, let's see what's wrong with the floor here. I mean, these coaches are in, on heightened, you know, anxiety. So I sent a ball kit out and um, our floor our floor installer and like there was a stain or something on the floor just check it out at a timeout and those are the things you have to think about because if we go walking out there in the middle of the game coaches are going to go what's wrong with the floor right so we just sent a ball kit out like nothing had happened you know and what we had to do in between we got through that four minute game and then between games we had to stand it down bring out the stander and and sand it down because it was a it was a lip where you could have tripped on it so those things when you have eight venues going on this week four venues next week those kinds of things are happening right and left. It's just that, we're, you know, we're pretty fortunate we solve them behind the scenes. So um, we've had others, but, you know, they just it's just so many moving parts. You just brought something up that I've always wanted to know. Why at the tournament, or especially the Final Four, why is the court 48 inches above the ground? Why isn't it just level on the ground like we see for other games? Um, I, I, I would say that's because of um, the venue and the seating system and the way we set everything up and, and you have to send power underneath the floor and you have to do everything, a lot of things underneath the floor, microphone, you know, some things for television. Um, you know, I, I that would be my, you know, uneducated guess right now, but we've always done it that way. I think it it is probably a little bit of the pitch and just because we've we've had that question and I probably should get a little bit more educated on that. No, I just I think it's interesting because you can always tell when it's Final Four because people have to like step up to get onto the court yeah. from the, the bench. bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's very noticeable. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's talk about the players and the families because this is another thing that the NCAA has done so well in the past several years. It used to be, you know, players' families wondered how they would get to the games and could they come to the games? Could they afford it? Would they be able to get transportation from the hotel to the game? You guys have solved all of that. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing for the players' families now around the NCAA tournament. Sure, um, and I appreciate you asking that question. We adopted a uh, stipend for the family, so any family that makes it to, or any student athlete that makes it on the official roster uh, that goes to the Final Four, the family would get a stipend of $3,000 um, and per player. So um, if they make it to the final, the national championship, the two teams that make it to the national championship get an additional 1000 uh, because, of course, it's a longer stay. So um, uh, we adopted that. That's pay up the schools, assist us with that, with the distribution of that. Um, the tickets are already provided by the NCAA. That is not included in that dollar amount. So uh, those were, are provided. And then we're doing uh, a couple of things. We've created a family lounge in the hotels for the families. So the families have a place to hang out together. A lot of them know each other so well, like family. Um, and we have a family brunch on um, Saturday morning where um, the six members that usually, you know, uh, attend the games with the fam- with the players are invited to, to where we provide a pregame brunch. Brunch. So we continue to uh, work on that, but that's been a that's been one that's been very well received by the players and the coaches and the families. Yeah, and I would imagine for the families, it just takes are the players it takes a load off their mind knowing, hey, my family's taken care of, and 
you know, they're going to be provided for. They can get to and from the game. They have tickets, all that stuff. Because I know anytime you're dealing with a championship setting, that can be such a distraction to the players. Like, how am I going to get tickets for my family? Yeah, and it's um, again, it it allows the families to be able to stay in the team hotel because some didn't always stay at the team hotel. They tried to find some, you know, they, you know, it was it was they when we, you know, were doing some you know post event. Um, you know, wrap-ups with it and talking to the players, we learned a lot about it and how thankful they were for it because of that very reason, that they knew their parents were in the same hotel and they didn't have to worry about it and they could, you know, have access and be right in the middle of the heart of the event and walk out to everything. I mean, we give them access to FanFest and, um, you know, things like that, but I think it's more, I think if you ask the players, the more so is that they're in the hotel and they're close and the players, you're exactly right. They don't have to worry about them. All right, I've got to ask you about Zion Williamson. He is a generational player. When he plays on TV, whether it's ESPN or elsewhere, the ratings go through the roof. I think there's going to be even more interest in this tournament as long as he's in it because he is such a generational player. Are you guys discussing that on your end, whether it's with the TV coverage or just kind of that Zion Williamson effect on the tournament, or is he just like any other player? Um, you know what? When it comes to what I do, the first night I look at, there's a history here that we have over the years of media and national media. And I'm looking at hotels of where teams are going. Certain programs certainly have large media followings, like Kentucky and Kansas. You know, Duke is one. But I think this year the ele- um, elevated um, national media will follow. You know, we have events, um, and, and Duke and North Carolina have been very fortunate that they're in the regional area again. And so media can be in that area, and the local media cover them. But what I look at is more so which programs carry a ton of media to their first rounds, no matter who's playing on the games, because we just have a history of that. And remember, we booked these uh, sites and hotels five years out, and, and you know, we can't book too many rooms and not use them, and, we, you know, and if we don't have enough rooms, we have to find more. So I'm just looking at in general. But that is, I would say, that w- I would say they're in Columbia, and that is something that we looked at this year to say, hey, there will be more national media covering this. We need to have, you know, we need to look at our room block down there in, uh, in Columbia. Joanne, before I let you go, walk us through your schedule between now and the end of the tournament. I know this is like the craziest month for you. You're going from venue to venue. Uh, we've talked before. You weren't even on an airplane until 1988 when you went to USA Basketball yeah. Camp with John Thompson. And now you're like a jet setter going everywhere. But walk <laughs> us through your schedule. Yeah. So true. So today, as I said, is game day. I'm getting ready to go over to our open practices for our uh, first four teams that play tomorrow. They are in open practice today, so those are open to uh, the public to attend in Dayton. Um, and then we'll have our two first four games tonight. I'll be staying here in Dayton for the two first four games tomorrow. I'll head out Thursday early on a flight, and uh, get. I'll miss, uh, by the time my flight gets to Des Moines, I think I'll get there a little late for the first game in Des Moines, but I'll spend Thursday in Des Moines. And then Friday morning I'll get up early and I'll fly to Columbia. Um, I might be a little late for that game, first game, but there in time. And then from Columbia, um, I'll fly to Jacksonville, Florida on Saturday for that site. And then Sunday, I fly to Columbus, Ohio 
um, for that site. And the good news is I can hopefully after games that night get in a car and drive back to Indianapolis where I live and get back for that site. And then the following week, I'll again, this year happens to be a different year, I'll get in the car and drive down to Louisville for the first regional. Um, and then from Louisville, I will fly to, where do I go, D.C. I had to think about it there. Um, and then I'll fly to Anaheim for that regional final and end up in Kansas City. Um, and then from Kansas City, I fly into Minneapolis um, for the week. So, again, I am going to quote Clark Kellogg. I just keep saying, and, and, and you know, embrace the joy because this is what <laughs> I work on all year long. You know, I'm putting fires out, but, you know, the planning is over, and this is – I'm, I'm ready to play ball. I, I, this is the part I love. This is what I – this is why I do what I do is for this month. And when you're at the games, I always see you sitting courtside at the scores table, but – what is your role at the game? I mean, at that point, you've really got to be relying on your staff and the venue staff to make sure that everything goes smoothly. But do you have any specific role or things that you're tuned into when you're sitting courtside at those games? Yeah, you know, I, I've been around basketball coaches all my life, all my life. And every time I run into them, I go, how are you doing? And they all say, I'm just trying to get better. <laughs> trying to be a better coach, and I'm trying to get better players. And that, I mean, Rick Majerus, rest his, you know, rest, I, bless his soul and rest in peace. He used to say to me, I'm just trying to get better players, and I'm just trying to be a better coach. And a lot of coaches tell me that, and that I've just kind of taken that on. So when I'm on sites, I'm like, can we do that better? I don't know. You know, what about game entertainment? And what about we're cutting to live games now? You know, that's new. Um, and, and, you know, people are there. They want to see what's going on on another site. We've never done that. So I think it's important for me to attend different sites um, uh, and see, but I'm doing a lot of what can we do differently, attending a lot of press conferences, post-game. But really, I'm out there just trying to see the membership. I'm listening to what athletic directors have to say, coaches, primary administrators. I want to make sure the relationships you know, stay in place, that things went well for them. We want them to have a positive relationship. We want everything to be positive. So a lot of it is, but but I'm also sitting courtside putting out fires in other cities. So it just happens to be, you know, uh, you know, I'm in different cities. You can do that in the world we live in today. But you know, it's more so just being out. We work for the membership. They make the they make the decisions. They decide how you know we we run these tournaments, and it's just making sure we're listening to them. Last question: You have to manage a lot of people, both NCAA people and the staff at the venues where you play. We have a lot of people listening to this show who also manage people. What's the key to being a good leader of people like you are? I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm a good leader of people, but here's what I will say. I will go back to my earlier comment about uh, being around coaches all my life. You know, at the end of the year, uh, Brian, coaches take pull in their code players and they say, hey, I think you need to shoot a 1,000 shots a day. I don't think you're in the shape you should have been in. Um, I want you to focus on academics a little more. You know, and they give them feedback. And this is what you need to do if you want to play next year, or this is what I think you can do if you want to play in the league eventually. And so that's the role I take. I'm the honest feedback person. And I think it's the world where people are afraid of giving honest feedback. So that's how I lead. I give honest feedback. And we're in the spur of the moment. You know, I have to give honest feedback with sites and things because it needs, you know, we're on national TV. There's no mistake um, that's not going to be covered with television. So, you know, I think that's the only way you can do it. And, you know, in order for people to get better, for your honor, for, honor for your team to get better. Amen. That's, that's the creed that I live by anyway. No. And, and you've done such a great job building relationships. And what I always say is 
You work with a lot of uh, high-profile elite people. I do as well. And it's amazing how many people just won't be honest with them or dance around the issue. And if you tell them the truth, they respect you more and they go, you know what? A person wasn't afraid to be honest with me. And that's what you have to do every day. And you do it so well. And I think that's one of the key reasons why the coaches and the athletic directors and the school presidents respect you so much because you just shoot them straight. Yeah, I, I guess it's inherited from my father. I don't even know notice it. But what I will tell you is March is a great month. I love March Madness. And when I watch coaches and I watch players come off the floor, they're doing the same thing. They're telling them what they didn't. You know, they, they might be yelling at them, but they're telling them, this is what I need you to do. This is how we're all going to get better as a team. And so I just, I'm just so blessed to work in this sport. Joanne Scott, the managing director of the Men's Basketball Championship for the NCAA. You can follow her on Twitter at JLS4. As I always tell you, Joanne, I'm so proud of you. You're doing a great job. I always enjoy these conversations, and best of luck with March Madness this year. Thanks, Brian. Good to chat with you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. 